All right, all right. Well, show you just how good God is um, in an expectant hope. We prayed and had high expectations and hope about not having to break down uh, through the summer. And the devil thought he had us for two weeks. And then the Lord showed up on the third week and said, you shall not have to tear thine gym down. And you guys can just push the chairs forward and you can come on and leave today. So praise God for the remainder of our time here. We will not have to tear down the gym, and which means those of us who show up on Friday afternoons, we won't have to get here and spend a couple hours putting this place back together. So, I, you know, y'all ain't got to be happy about that. I am. I, you know, I'm very excited about that thing. So how you guys doing? Good, good. It's the five of you who were not who are not on vacation this week, so it's good to see you. And I'm glad y'all decided to show up. Another another moment to celebrate. There's air uh, in the gym this week. <laughs> to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Yeah, so uh, so we don't have to sweat it out this week and um and so uh, so we're doing pretty good, huh? Yeah. Or maybe just me. All right. Well, We'll, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there. Uh, today we dive into our third installment in our series, Paz the Love. Um, and as you know, this is a series about our core values uh, and essentially something that we do well. We, we pass the love, right? Right? We pass the love. We pass not just that moment that we have kind of halftime in service, but passing the love is something that we ought to naturally do. That it's just a part of who we are, not pass it amongst one another, but within and throughout the community, throughout the places where we serve, we pass the love. Uh, this past week in our study on emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, one of the things the writer said is basically this, loving well is the goal of the Christian life. Loving well is the goal of the Christian life. So let me be clear about just a couple of quick things. Um, it does not matter what we do if we do not love well. Nothing matters. It doesn't matter how well we sing. And although we have a great worship team, if we don't love well, their songs mean nothing. It doesn't matter how well Matt preaches. Uh, if we don't love well, for me, as one of the members told me a couple of weeks ago, there's always next time. So nothing really matters how well we do if we do not love well. Uh, if we don't love well, we might as well close up shop and quit. Uh, because it is love that's going to push us past the trials, the struggles of what it is that we are building. And so it starts there. And loving well doesn't just happen. You have to be intentional uh, in doing so. It has to be by practice. You have to practice loving well. And as we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, or every week for this series, uh, the way that we learn to love well by practice is by working our core values because as we know through exercise science, what they tell us is basically this. You can never overwork your core or if you want to be healthy, you must work your core, work your core the most. And so we're going to work our core for the remainder of this series and throughout the life of this church and community. And today we will exercise Exercise expectant hope as we are talking about it, as we heard. Now, I want you to know a couple of things. First off, that we didn't just say hope uh, because the reality is, is that hope alone is not enough. It's not just about hope. Christianity is not just about hope. Hope is simply the feeling that you have for a desired outcome. So it cannot just be about hope for the believer's hope must be anchored to something. Every believer, their hope must be anchored to something. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us basically this, uh, that 
in his definition of hope, that, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for. In order for you to have faith, you must anchor your hope towards something. That's expectation. And we also want to be clear that there is an expectation of what it is that we are doing. And our expectation is simply this. We believe that God will work, he will move, and he will expand his kingdom. That is our expectation. But also I want to be clear on another thing. We want to be very clear in saying that we do not want our hope or our expectation to be, check this out, in one church. I don't want you to put your hope and your expectation in this body of believers. No, our hope is not in this church. Our hope solely lives and lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Not in this church, not in this community, not in what we're building. Our hope must be in Christ alone, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before we move on to defining and unpacking what expect and hope is, I, I've noticed for a length of time, anytime that I gather around people who are followers of Jesus, everybody isn't quite sure what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. So can we define that for a moment? What the gospel of Jesus Christ is? Let me give you in a simple sentence the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here it is. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again eternally triumphant over all his enemies so that there is there now no condemnation for those who believe but only everlasting joy. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ simply stated. Or if we were to do this, and I didn't put this on the screen, but follow me for a moment. If you want to do it like an acrostic form, here's what it says. Gospel G, God created us to be with him. And what happened is that Adam sinned and it separated us from God. Our sins, oh, separated us from God. And when sin stained humanity, we were no longer worthy enough to stand in the presence of God. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. If they could, there would be no need for Jesus Christ. P, paying the price for our sins, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So it's not about what you do, it's all about what he did. E, everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him alone will have eternal life. And L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. That is the gospel. And that is where our hope should lie and lie only there and there alone. And so this is what the Apostle Paul is teaching uh, in our scripture for the day. And I want you to listen to his words. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. You're going to like this verse. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. I really think it speaks um, to our value here. Philippians 1 and 20 are crack open your device and you'll see these words. Philippians 1 and 20. Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Can you do me a favor? Can you do me a favor? Can we read that together collectively? Will you mind reading it together? Can we, can we read that together? It's on the screen. Let's read that together on the count of three. One, two, three, go. Amen, amen. 
Don't you like the early part of that? It sounds familiar. I eagerly expect and hope. What's our value today? Expectant hope. I love the book of Philippians. And, uh, and, I, and I'm inspired by, by reading it, especially when I consider uh, the conditions of the writer as he's sharing with us, uh, namely the Apostle Paul. He is writing this letter to the, book, to the church in Philippi uh, basically from the inside of his prison cell. He's sitting in the inside of his prison cell, or we would liken it more to like a dungeon in our terms today. He's sitting from the inside of a dungeon, and considering that, I, I can understand this statement, and it makes so much more sense when Paul says, from the inside of a cell, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. That's, that's real good. So imagine, imagine the Apostle Paul sitting in his cell, probably, you know, just, just there in a, in a mess of a situation. And while he's sitting there, he's saying that he eagerly expects and hopes. Now, I want you to know something about when he's saying eagerly. Eagerly is not the same as excitement. This is more about impatience. He's impatiently waiting for something to happen. He is eagerly awaiting with excitement, longing for something to happen. He eagerly Expects. So let's define just a couple of words here. We defined eagerly already. Let's define expects and also hope, and we'll, we'll put the puzzle pieces together from, from there. He says he eagerly expects. Expects, check this out. In the Greek, which this letter was written, in the Greek literally means this, with an outstretched head. All right? He eagerly expects. He's impatiently longing for something with an outstretched head. Hope, hope means a reasonable and a confident expectation of a future event. So he eagerly, he's impatiently longing with his head outstretched, waiting for something or an event to take place. It's, it's kind of like if you've, ever, if you've ever known that something was happening, someone was coming, and you're kind of stretching your head out, looking around the corner, or looking down the block, hoping that you will eventually see them. This is the picture that Paul has given us. Y'all get that? All right, well, let, let me give you a story then, basically, maybe make it a little bit clear for you. Uh, I, I read about a young boy whose uh, dad served in the first Gulf War. And um, the war lasted a short period of time, and soon after the war ended, he and his mom received a letter from his dad saying, hey, the war has ended, I'll soon be home. And the little boy was excited because he wanted his dad home. He's waiting for his father to appear, and every day, no matter what he's doing, he's always looking for his dad to come. Time passes, one month two months, three months even, and his dad still has not shown up. And no matter what he's doing, when he's at school, he's distracted. He can't focus on his schoolwork. When he's playing with his friends, in the middle of a game, he'll stop and he'll peek down the street just to see if he sees his dad coming down the block. He never sees him. One day while in school, he's talking to one of his friends, and all of a sudden, his dad, his friend's dad, walks through the door who also served in the Gulf War. Well, his friend hops up excited about his dad being there. And he runs to his dad and he loves on his dad. The next day they show up at school again. The little boy's dad hadn't showed up. And the other little boy whose dad did says, well, you know, my dad told me yesterday that everybody who went off the war won't return home. Some people won't make it. Some people didn't make it. To which the little boy replied this, I know that everybody doesn't return home from war. I'm very much aware of that. But my dad is. <laughs> they get out of school and they're walking home. And as they're walking home, as they come up over the hill, he looks down the block and in front of his house, he sees a tall man in army fatigues standing in front of his home. He simply glances over to his friend and says, see, I told you. 
He spent his entire day, every night, longing and waiting with a relentless expectation that it doesn't matter if it's been one month, if it's been two months, three months or longer. It doesn't matter if your dad showed and mine didn't. It doesn't matter if I go to sleep every night and things don't change. What I am confident is this, is that my dad will show up for me at some point in time. This is what Paul is talking about in this letter here. As he said, I eagerly hope and expect that it doesn't matter what I'm facing I've been waiting one month two months three months four five years I'm waiting with an outstretched hand because I know that God will show up and that God will do exactly what he promised that he did I love this too because when Paul is saying this what it's also talking about is the hand is outstretched and it's outstretched even with all the distractions going on around it and so he's looking, just like the little boy, everything else is taking place around him. He's engaged in all other types of situations. However, his focus is unchanged. That's the, the expectant hope that Paul is describing. That's the expectant hope that I pray becomes the DNA of this church, that we are always clear that what we expect and hope that Christ will show up, that Christ will do exactly what he said he will do. But I also want to share with you this, that Paul is speaking here, and he is not saying that I eagerly expect and hope that Christ will free me from my chains. Well, this isn't his prayer. His prayer isn't for deliverance from the chains that he's currently in. No, his prayer is even though I am in chains, I'm eagerly expecting and hoping that the gospel will do exactly what the gospel is supposed to do. That the gospel will move, the gospel will change lives, that people will be healed, people will be saved, that the gospel will do exactly what it's supposed to do. Which speaks to the reality for us that when this expectation is within us, our attention should be turned away from all other objects, understanding that no matter what my current situation is, the gospel supersedes my situation. The gospel transcends my trials. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. The gospel works anyway. And I feel like it's probably needy to share that. Because so many of us, we think that the gospel working or not working is largely dependent upon our lives. So because perhaps something's going wrong in our lives, that means that the gospel's not moving, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, that things aren't changing because my life hasn't seen any change. But Paul is clearly expressing to us here that it didn't matter what he was going through personally. He was quite sure about the power and the work of the gospel. It reminds me of a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. We see it in Matthew chapter 16, if you're familiar with it. What happens is this. Jesus is there, and he speaks to the disciples. He asks them this question, who do men say that I am? Well, well, they speak up, and they say, some say Isaiah, some says Jeremiah, some says one of the prophets. And he says, well, whom do you say I am? And Peter, if you remember, speaks up and says, uh, for you are Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looks at Simon and says, Simon, son of John, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but it's only came to you by the spirit of the living God. Peter's profession there was his professed hope and expectation and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen to Jesus' example, our response to Peter. He says, by this testimony... 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I bring this point up because as Paul is speaking and Paul is saying, listen, even in my chains, I know the gospel will work. Even though life isn't working out the way that I hoped it would, that I'm sitting in this prison cell, I believe that the gospel, that Jesus is working just the way that he said that he would. I bring this up in our times because we think that the world is so bad, the things are so, uh, 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 um, trials are so great in our world today that we think that the gospel's not working, that, that, the, that the world is going to hell. And, and according to this scripture, the gospel's doing exactly what it said it's going to do. Because here's how we know, um, common sense. Do you put gates up to keep somebody out or to keep people in? Yeah, okay. Jesus says this. By this testimony, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hell put up gates because the kingdom is advancing. And the only reason they put up gates uh, is not to keep the Christians inside or because they were working hard to dismantle the church. The gates were put up because the gospel is advancing, it is moving, it is doing exactly what Jesus is. So the gates of hell were put up because Jesus is doing exactly what he said that he would do. And so when we read media reports and people are saying, oh my God, the church is declining. Oh my God, the world is going to hell. No, hell put up gates because the gospel moves. Because people are being changed. Lives are moving. Churches are growing. Lives are being saved. Families are being changed. It is doing exactly what the Lord said that it would always do. But you can't base it upon what you see. You can't base that story on your personal testimony because just because you're in the middle of a storm or just because, especially in Western Christianity, where we think that we are the epicenter of all religious hope and that is not the case. We are not the epicenter of religious hope. We are only a small fragment of what's going on inside the world. So just because a few churches in the United States closed does not mean that the kingdom of God is declining. The kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is moving. The gospel is changing lives. There are people being healed. People are receiving salvation. It is doing exactly what Jesus predicted that it would do. And so our hope has to be not inside of one church, not inside of the United States. It must be only in the gospel of Jesus Christ because only by it will we be able to see the true power of the Lord work inside of our world. It must be be inside of that. So it doesn't matter, man. There's a lot of traumatic things that we're experiencing today. We're seeing just, just last night in Florida that horrific event that happened. And before we're going to leave today, we're going to pray for those people who lost their lives. We're seeing all these things that's happening around our world. We saw a young lady murdered in front of her baby just the other day. We got to pray for those things. But I tell you, my brothers and sisters, with all of that tragedy, Jesus still reigns. Yeah. He still reigns. He is still reigning on the throne with all the toxicity of our political environment. It doesn't matter if it's Hillary Trump or Bernie. None of it really matters. Jesus is on the throne. We're not concerned about them. It does not matter what it looks like. The only thing that matters is that the gospel is still moving so you cannot put your hope in any of those other things. For the old folks used to say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus name on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand we must put our hope in Christ and Christ alone he says I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient 
courage. I like that. I like that. This attitude that Paul is expressing here should be the posture of every believer that it doesn't matter how, uh, what's going on, but we believe and we live based upon how we believe. And so listen to Paul. Paul is sitting here in chains with eager expectation that is hoping the gospel will come to pass. And he says, therefore, I won't be ashamed. Well, what's Paul mean there? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. Think about this. He's, he's been living this life. He's been unashamedly, unapologetically spreading the gospel, telling everybody that the Lord is coming, that the Lord is moving. And here he is. After being God's vocal piece for the world, for the masses, now he finds himself in jail. Can you imagine? All of the opposers who saw him out there preaching and sharing the gospel and how they're now looking at him as he is sitting in chains. And he's saying, listen, even though, even though you oppose me and I find myself in chains, I still, I still can't be ashamed. I still refuse to be ashamed. I can't be ashamed by this because I, st I still believe, even in chains, I still believe I cannot be ashamed of what I proclaim. This doesn't change who I am. This doesn't change what I believe. And, and, and I know it's like that for us today, right? Because there are some of you who have, you, you've made some changes, adjustment after adjustment. You've made change after change. And it's hard sometimes to look people in the face because you see the judgment in their eyes. Some of you, you thought, man, listen, 2016 has got to be better than 2015. Uh, you, you said this career change is going to be the one that's going to set me on the trajectory to where I think that I'm going to go in my future. You said, okay, this degree right here is the one that I've been waiting for. And when I do so, my future is going to be, this relationship is going to be the one. This is going to be the the one that's going to change things and life is going to be great for me. And all of a sudden, here it is, 2016, midway through, and things have not changed, and you're trying not to be ashamed. But what Paul is saying is this, because of his belief, his eager expectation, I won't be ashamed. It literally means this, even though I am locked up in chains, I can still hold my head up high. And even though you've gone through adjustment after adjustment, change after change, even though you can see the judgment in people's faces, what Paul is saying, be encouraged. 2,000 years ago, I was once in your position. I once felt that judgment from people. I sat in chains, and I had my head high because I knew that the gospel would do exactly what it said that it would do. So since I can do it in chains, you can do it today and recognize that God will do exactly what he said he will do. So hold your your head up high. If life has not changed much from 2015 to 2016, baby, wake up tomorrow and keep holding your head up high. The reason we can do that is because Paul also told us, for all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Hold your head up high. And then last, here's the culmination of it. I love this. He says this but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What Paul is speaking about here is simply this. Because of his eager expectation and the hope that he has within him, even while in prison, his commitment is still the same to continue on the mission that he was given while he was freed. And just because he is in prison, just because life isn't looking the way that he hopes that it would, even where he is right now in his current predicament, he says, I still have an unwavering mission. It doesn't change because of my current condition. I'm still here. And so he says this um, 
I can do this because my confidence in Christ hasn't changed. That's why he says that Christ be glorified. He makes Christ glorified, magnified in his presence. He makes him bigger than the things that he see. Which in essence is the key to expect and hope. The key to expect and hope, the key to the gospel that Paul is speaking about is simply this. The gospel is simply recognizing that, that Jesus Christ is bigger than our sins. He's so much bigger than our sins that he hung on Calvary's cross. And when he died, our sins were wiped new. They were wiped clean. We are brand new. He's, he's bigger than our sins. And expecting hope for our lives simply looks like this. When you look at your situation, it's hard to recognize what's going on, your trials or otherwise, because you see nothing but the magnified, the glorified Christ in front of you. And you can't even see the issues that lie ahead because you have an expectation, a hope that's unwavering, that's unswerved based upon those things because all you can see is him. And whenever you just look at him, he heals all things. I tell this to couples all the time. That the, the key to your relationship lastly to having a healthy and an enduring relationship is not by looking at one another and learning how to love each other greater. If you simply look up to him, he then can be the source to help to heal the relationship between the both of you. If you're worried about how to handle things at work, the key to working out things at work, at your job, in your career, wherever it may be, the key is not trying to rectify situations between you and your coworkers. The key is simply by looking up to him. If you look up to him, I promise you he'll give you the strength, the energy, and he'll go before you to help you to rectify the other things. The source, the key to everything is always magnifying God bigger than all of your situations, and he will do exactly what he said that he would do. Here's what it looks like practically. Um, I, I, for those of you who know, I, I'm a history junkie, and I loved it. And one time I, I read about uh, Cyrus, Cyrus, the, the founder of the Persian Empire. And it was told that one time Cyrus had, had, uh, had kidnapped a, a prince, his wife, and children. And he brought them into his kingdom, and Cyrus looked at the prince, and he said to the prince this. He says, uh, what will you give me if I spare your life? The prince says, I'll give you half of my wealth. He says, okay, well, what will you give me if I spare your children's lives? He says, sir, I will give you everything that I own. He says, well, what will you give me if I spare your wife's life? He says, sir, if you spare my wife, I'll give you my life. Cyrus was so moved by the testimony of this husband, he let the entire family go, didn't take anything from them. As they're leaving, the husband looks at the wife and he says to the wife, man, you know what, that Cyrus sure was a handsome man, wasn't he? And his wife says, I don't know. He says, what do you mean? She says, I could not take my eyes off the man who was willing to give his life for mine. When it comes to our expectant hope, that's exactly what it's about. I cannot take my eyes off of him because I recognize the sacrifice that he made for me. And no matter what we face, no matter our trials, no matter our struggles, no matter what lies before us, if we always focus on him, nothing else matters. I don't know about the problems of the world. All I know is that Christ reigns on the throne. I can't be depressed about the current state of our world because I know that Christ reigns on the throne. I am not worried about whether or not one church is going to make it or not because I know that Jesus Christ reigns on the throne. And if we always focus our attention on the cross, all of a sudden, all these things don't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all because he is the source of all things. That's where our hope lies.
And that's where our expectation is. That Jesus Christ, he is, he will be, both yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Uh, we're going to pray. And um, as we do, don't forget those cards. Um, three things. I want you to pray or to, to, to write an expectation and hope that you have for yourself. Remember, there are pens on the back table. Uh, secondly, uh, prayer, uh, expectation, and hope for, for this church or if this is a true church or church. And thirdly, expectation of hope for someone that you love and um, as we prepare to meet at the table to, to receive our communion um, please drop that in there and we will be praying for you with an expectation and hope that the Lord will show up and he will deliver so we're going to meet at the table and um every week because we believe what the Lord told us. This is what he said. He says, um, whenever you gather, that I want you to gather there and I want you to receive the bread which symbolized my body that was broken for you. Saving us, healing our sins.